0: Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. On today's episode, we speak with David Leininger, who is the Chief Financial Officer of the Dallas Area Rapid Transit, or DART. This is the first time we've spoken with a CFO on the show, but I knew we needed to talk to him because he's got a great take on what it takes to bring mobility as a service, mass, here to the United States and what they're doing in Dallas in that regard. Also, the back office functions, What is it like to run the finances, to run the IT office, all the stuff behind the scenes that make a transit system really go? We'll find out today on this episode of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency?
1: What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul
0: Comfort. Hi, I'm Paul Comfort, your host for Transit Unplugged. And today I'm excited to have our first non-CEO as our guest, and it couldn't be a better person than David Leininger, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer for DART, the Dallas Area Rapid Transit System. I've just spent some time with him today, and you are going to love what he has to tell you about the cool things that are coming for real that are happening right here in Dallas that you hear about in other places of the world. David is bringing them here to the United States. But first off, thanks for being with us, David.
1: It's oh, great to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Great. So, um, David, bef- before we get going too much into the details, tell us a little about yourself and your career and how you ended up as CFO for, uh, you know, a major transit system in the United States, DART. Uh,
1: short story is that I really entered uh, professional life uh, coming out of graduate school with a master's degree in, in uh, city management and urban planning, uh, interned in the city of Dallas back in the 70s, uh, and uh, ended up uh, in the budget department, and so became associated with finance, and uh, ultimately uh, was the budget director in Dallas, uh, went, became the finance director in a suburb called Garland, came back to Dallas as director of economic development, and actually then journeyed into the private sector for 25 years in commercial real estate in master plan communities, uh, consulting uh, to uh, various kinds of real estate development and hospitality groups and then uh, returned to the public sector about uh, 15 years ago uh, okay. as the CFO for a large suburban uh, area here called Irving.
0: Sure. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and has everybody a knows, everybody football fan knows about right, Irving, Texas. Dallas yeah, County,
1: right. I, was, I oversaw the actual demolition of the Texas stadium while I was wow. there and then uh, joined DART about nine years ago as the CFO and ultimately as uh, Executive Vice President over Business Services.
0: That's great, and we're here in your headquarters in downtown Dallas, and you and I had the opportunity to really get to know each other briefly. when We both spoke at an APTA conference last year, and I was really impressed with the things you were doing here and so happy that we can reconnect.
1: Uh, I appreciate that, me too. It was
0: a lot of fun, and and I look forward to the dialogue. So uh, tell us a little bit about DART itself, kind of like the scope of what you all do here. Well, DART is a regional
1: authority. It was founded in 1983 by virtue of voter uh, referendum. Uh, It includes currently 13 cities, the largest of which is the city of Dallas, uh, and then really the surrounding suburbs. Uh, But our suburbs are not small. Irving, Garland, Plano, Uh, All of those are multi-hundred-thousand populations. Uh, Carrollton and Addison, uh, Farmers Branch, Richardson. So uh, a a good number of uh, suburban uh, uh, complements. I would point out that the sales tax is what drives the agency uh, and was uh, authorized at 1%. Uh, Roughly 50% currently of uh, the contributions come from the suburban uh, communities and then the other obviously from the city of Dallas. Uh, So there's that balance uh, that occurs. Uh, And the system has uh, grown from being a a, a system that was created as Dallas Area Rapid Transit with rail very much in the thesis of why we were being formed. We acquired Dallas Transit System shortly after our formation, uh, which was, of course, a bus system serving the city of Dallas and the environments outside of it. Uh, Beginning in 1995, we introduced light rail. Uh, we've built 93 miles since then. We built a 28-mile, or actually a 33-mile commuter rail uh, link uh, from downtown Dallas, downtown Fort Worth, acquired 240 miles of uh, rail corridor, mainly freight, uh, and basically now have about 250,000 riders today. Uh, roughly 53% on the bus, uh, the balance on rail, one
0: kind or the other. And your CEO, Gary Thomas, has been a real visionary leader in our industry.
1: He has. He's a prior president of of APTA. Uh, He's a long-serving CEO uh, coming into that position in 2000. So as CEO duration and tenure goes, he's he's becoming uh, pretty old. He might be the dean of the (laughs) CEOs, yeah. He's he's close at this
0: point, yeah. That's interesting. So... um, uh, you all have a, a several unique things about the features of your service that I think we should talk about before we get into what's coming and that is why don't you tell us about kind of the model you use for paratransit which I think is very interesting it's a way to keep the cost relatively lower
1: well uh, like most jurisdictions uh, we've gone through various models on paratransit uh, years ago we started out really with cab service uh, that didn't go well there were, we had a lot of problems with fraud and, bad service and so forth, ultimately brought all that in-house with our own fixed fleet uh, shuttles. Uh, the problem with that, although the quality was high and, and we operated through third-party providers, uh, the cost was high also. Uh, so uh, about six years ago, we went through an analysis to determine if we could do a mixed mode, reintroduced a uh, taxi into that mix, uh, maintain a balance with uh, our own shuttles, uh, actually out source uh, dispatch and scheduling. Uh, we had brought everything in-house and then basically said we really need to move it out of house and be asset managers and mobility managers. Uh, that was done. It. it uh, we thought we would have 60% fixed shuttle ridership and 40% taxi. It's actually the exact opposite. Uh, we're really, in fact, closer to 65% taxi. Uh, our on-time uh, uh, service with taxi is actually a little bit higher. Uh, and our satisfaction of the users is is really good. Uh, it was a rough transition, as these things always I remember are. remember
0: that on the cover of the Dallas Morning News. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was, it was a little bit of a challenge because yeah. there
1: was a lot of changes. Uh, but uh, we saved uh, a substantial amount of money, in the hundreds of millions of dollars, wow. actually, uh, with that. And uh, it taught us a lot about how to really more uh, cost-effectively deliver service and, and really mix our modes uh, in, in different ways. We, I, I think it really introduced and opened uh, us to the idea that that uh, it, the way in which we could use taxi and on-demand uh, as well as scheduled service uh, could be a lot more cost-effective and, and more, more effective mm-hmm. in
0: terms of outcomes than we'd anticipated. And uh, do you know what your cost per trip is now about?
1: Well, Good on a answer. blended basis, uh, it's probably right in the $40 range. It it had, it had drifted up into the high 40s, and then we brought it back into the mid-30s. Uh, now, I might add that we have another pilot going on where we're doing uh, a all-taxi model in our ex-urban areas okay. uh, assisting some cities. And we've got those costs down now into the $10 range. Really? Uh, and by that. And we're incorporating a, an account-based uh, solution, providing the customers with a card. We match uh, $3 to their $1. Uh, now, it's a, it's a narrow uh, focus, so I don't want to suggest that, uh, that it serves everybody, but it's very focused on medical service uh, for paratransit-eligible riders uh, in uh, low-density areas that really are difficult to serve a shuttle. And we dropped the we, we dropped the cost for a service that was in there pri- previously that failed actually went out of business that was over fifty dollars per trip and got it down close to ten.
0: That's amazing. That's good. So uh, let's back up a little bit and talk about the agency itself a little bit more about that. Um, what's your total operating capital budget for DART? Yeah, our general uh, Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, our aggregate budget right now is uh, right at five hundred twenty-three million for FY uh, eighteen uh capital budget on top of that would be about 250 million um uh, uh, and then uh debt service on top of that's another couple hundred million so we 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 touch on an annual basis uh, uh we run through about 900 million uh right at the moment and, and we've been higher than that of course when we were in the big capital uh yeah. the expansion days we were we were touching 1.1 1.2 billion there's a few years but by and large operating budget as to say is. Uh, this year is about $523 million.
0: So it's uh, it's unique for me to be able to interview a CFO. I'm going to ask you a few questions that I don't normally ask CEOs, you know. So your um, your governance uh, is a board of directors, right? That's correct. And they're made 15 up member. of? 15-member.
1: Okay. Uh, and it's uh, basically based on population. City of Dallas, as it works out, has has eight. Uh, suburbs in aggregate have seven. Uh uh, and there's a governance, uh, there's a relevant governance idea here, is that uh, it requires a two-thirds vote to modify our 20-year financial plan uh, or uh, any debt. Uh, that means that if all of the Dallas representatives voted the same way, they'd still need two more people from the suburban side or vice versa. And actually, that it's has, a been, balance. has been amazingly effective yeah. over these 30-plus uh, years to bring them together in the interest of, of the region.
0: Sure. So uh, as a CFO, what are the things that are um, you know, on your mind when you go to sleep at night? What are two or three big issues? I know CEOs are normally worried about operational issues. What are the issues that a, that a CFO is worried about?
1: Uh, well, uh, I should couch that, but there's a lot of things we're not worried about. <laughs> uh, the, uh, one is that uh, I was very fortunate when I got here to really come to understand how much Dart believes in its uh, 20-year financial plan. It's fairly unique. Uh, our board really lives that plan, and uh, uh, the each annual budget is really the one year of a 20-year plan, and and, and they absolutely abide by it. So that's really important, and it, and it has a lot of uh, financial standards built into it uh, that inform the way we deliver a budget, how we put together a capital program. So uh, there's a framework here that is uh, pretty clearly established And it greatly assists uh, us working with me, uh, working with our our team, and working with the board about keeping people kind of operating within the rails, so to speak. Uh, The the other thing is that we have a deep commitment to state of good repair. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we really uh, have to confirm that we can afford to support all that we already have in place before we add net new assets. Uh, and again, they live that philosophy very religiously. So uh, some of the things that some of my counterparts do deal with, uh, short-term plans, real problems with state of good repair are not problems that I deal with. That's so uh, what do I worry about? Uh, our federal friends. Okay. Uh, and, and candidly, uh, you know, the, we, it's been a, a very difficult uh, period over the last nine years really trying to understand what uh, the cash flow coming out of the the federal government's going to look like as formula funds, albeit consistent in the algorithms, uh, cash flow has been very spotty and and hit and miss. And so we've had to manage around that. Uh, The other issue is uh, essentially uh, uh, actually a, a rescinding commitments that were contractual obligations. The most uh, specific I would mention is Build America bonds, where sequestration suddenly uh, cut our tax credit uh, on our Build America bonds, which we entered into at the inducement of the federal government, and that was by 8%. Well, now the current tax legislation actually threatens to eliminate them in their entirety. Uh, for Dart, that would be a twenty-eight million dollar a year hit. Mm. Uh, so that would keeps me up at night. So I'm I'm banging a lot of drums right now, and, and I'm encouraging a lot of people to have their hair on fire in that one because it's a it's an unintended, unintentional yes, uh, uh, you know consequence of a very quick do- series of discussions. Um, my concern is that there are dozens of those, uh, you know, embedded in that tax bill, uh, and they'll get discovered. Uh, but we don't know when, and, and, and it's not clear if you'll be successful in, in persuading people that, hey, this is really unreasonable, because I'm sure there are 10,000 lobbyists in D.C. right now making that very case. That's right, yeah. For, for their own particular
0: purposes. Where I'm working uh, with APTA on a white paper about the value of predictable formula funding for transit and how important that is. And these competitive grants are exciting, the Tiger Grants, et cetera. But that's not the bread and butter of transit, and we need to have... Reliable, consistent funding. Yeah, it's been,
1: and you know we can fault a lot of things. Of course, the financial crisis we went through in 2009 was really deep and 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 caused a tremendous amount of distortion in normal systems, uh, and the normal order, so-called. But uh, it, it's uh, it is herky-jerky. It's it's uh, it, it's really hard for middle size and smaller agencies. We're fortunate enough to be large enough that we've got some reserves and capacity to accommodate you know these uh, quarterly swings right um, uh, I, not my, everybody does no then. our smaller yeah. agencies struggle with this and it puts them in real pinch points and really does affect service delivery so uh, I, I agree if i were going to focus on something i'd focus on the formula funds because yeah. that's an area that's uh, it's really been a mistreatment of of the agencies quite frankly.
0: When I talk to young people, I always try to encourage them to consider transit as a career option. A lot of times they think, well, you know, I don't want to be a bus driver or a train operator, uh, but there's so many other jobs, um, white collar jobs in transit. And I think that uh, you're a perfect person to talk about that a little bit. Why don't you tell us about your organization here that's under you as the CFO? I mean, it's it's quite extensive and it touches in lots of different fields.
1: Yeah, well, <clears throat> I cover uh, a lot of the, what I call the business services side, so that ranges from, of course, finance and all its various aspects, uh, IT, uh, planning, uh, not planning I'm sorry, procurement, uh, risk, uh, you know, the kind of as I say those uh, those internal functions. But we have a, a very robust planning group uh, that's really looking at new services, uh, scheduling of existing services, managing the policies around that, uh, and then of course a big engineering group uh, and. Uh, uh, and a technical team that's really dealing with the with the operational complexities of, of a big infrastructure company like we have. Uh, I would make the comment that for the first time in a long time, uh, we have a, a lot of new people coming out of college and graduate school to transit, who are seeking us out, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's different. Uh, that you know, for because we look pretty pretty similar from decade to decade, and and. Uh, pretty structured and very governmental in our process. But in the last, uh, I'd say particularly the last five years, and you know, uh, th- there's been so many things introduced into transit, uh, so many new modal solutions. Uh, I think the awareness of, of the urban uh, environment, the people coming back into the central cities, uh, wanting to live less dependent on automobiles, recognizing you know how the transit's part of that solution. Liking the social purpose of, of transit, uh, I tell people in, in finance all the time. I say, look, if you really want to impact people's lives and make a big difference, uh, get involved in a fair policy change.
0: Yeah, you'll yeah, touch about it. You,
1: you'll touch everybody. Yep, uh, and there are not that many things you can do where you you're touching millions of people by a single decision. Uh, so, you know, if you think about it from that context. Uh, uh, this is an area where you can make a difference and you can make a difference at a young age.
0: That's right. And uh, I think that transit systems, Bill Carpenter, my buddy from Rochester, when I asked him, what's, what's one thing you would you would say, you know, lesson learned, he said, hire millennials. Transit systems should hire the people in their 20-something because they're bringing fresh ideas. And that's a great segue to what we want to talk about next, the fresh ideas that are coming into the transit industry. You and I were just talking about how that we... Uh, operating traditional transit systems are no longer monopolies. We don't have a monopoly on mobility in urban areas anymore. There's so many new market-driven, uh, fresh ideas. Tell us about some of them and what you're doing here in Dallas and the Dallas area to adopt some of the great uh, new things that are coming down the line, like mobility as a service, et cetera.
1: Well, uh, we talked earlier today, as a matter of fact, about our view about what is happening. And we pose it as uh, an opportunity or an existential threat. Uh, And and obviously, it's both. Uh, uh, There are new modal solutions that are arriving that are different, uh, arguably in some instances better, uh, and uh, are surprising that uh, that they've worked so well. If I described a use case uh, 10 years ago that said someone who you don't know is going to arrive and pick you up uh, in a vehicle that uh, is unmarked and is not certified in any way, and is going to take you to a destination that uh, uh, that's done in some version other than the way you would do it through a dispatcher. You'd say that isn't a viable business. That's right. Obviously, it is. Uh, they, so, uh, but uh, a lot has changed. Obviously, uh, and uh, we've talked about. In our own, our own CEO talks a lot about. Do you remember the name Polaroid uh, or Kodak? <laughs> Uh, these, uh, you, know, you know, things happen, technologies arrive that disrupt and, and displace and replace. And in our instance, uh, we have to serve the entire market, but we need to serve the entire market. Uh, we, If we get marginalized and only serve a component of a transit-dependent low income only, uh, it's really going to inform and influence our ability to really be effective. So. So, so, there's a goal here of, of be remaining relevant uh, as a public service provider and not being marginalized. Uh, so, that's number one. Uh, but there's another dimension to this and, uh, and it, it, it kind of occurred to me when I first joined transit, uh, uh, I was really surprised at our performance reports. It came out six weeks after the end of the month for which we were reporting. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and I came uh, doing a lot of hospitality consulting, where we did dailies. I could tell you the next day the breakfast counts, the lunch counts, the evening counts, and, and which lo- geographic location, and we had we had weekly P&Ls. Um, and so my first question was, why don't we have things, something similar to that? I mean, we're, we're an operating agency, and, and I was quickly told, look, uh, our job is to pull out the equipment in the morning and get it back in the evening. It doesn't make really any difference how many people get on or off because we can't change that schedule uh, except for every six months or nine months at a minimum, uh, which was to me a different mindset and it, it is alien to a customer-focused uh, mindset of coming out of hospitality and that's where I spent a lot of time. So. Uh, we start really focusing on what's the customer-facing side of this, the customer enge- engagement side, uh, and uh, how do you surprise and delight your customer, you know, and, those, and, and how do you do this quickly? How do you get speed to market, you know, uh, better, quicker, cheaper? Uh, those are all mantras that come from the private sector that should translate over to the public sector. So uh, part of our view was uh, we were recognizing that we were slow to procure. Uh, We were tedious in the way we were asking people to to compete. Uh, We were not really customer facing. And and, uh, therefore, uh, we were increasingly going to be at risk risk of being irrelevant, particularly with the advent of things like smartphones, which of course was 2007, not that long ago. so a lot of our focus was really starting, not even with technology, but with it, with just an understanding that we needed to be customer-facing number one and, and really engage with the customer on their terms and their touch points, uh, and then start working back into what allows us to better do that. As it happened, coincidentally, smartphones arrived, Uber arrived, and so forth, and, and it became clear that there were a lot of new things that were providing really good opportunities for customer engagement. They weren't coming from us, but they could come through us if we wanted them.
0: That's good, yeah. I think uh, I read an article the other day and they said the one thing that really enabled all these new mobility options is GPS location of the individual through the smartphone that that was like the key Technology that made all this possible. So with that as a backdrop with us realizing that hey Running traditional buses on a fixed route or a traditional rail on a fixed route is not Going to be able to be the end-all be-all do-all of mobility in a city. What did you do next?
1: Well? uh, What we were focused on was how better to Improve the actually the, the the trip planning and payment experience, uh, and one of the things that uh, we were looking at smart cards and, and various ways to engage the customer. Smart cards do work pretty well, and they but they're a little expensive. Uh, but the, as we were looking at all that. Uh, We really began to realize that uh, uh, there's there's some new things that were available to us and specifically mobile was really coming into its own. Uh, And there was a lot about it that we liked. We saw some opportunities uh, to do some things in mobile. So ultimately we decided that we were going to do a mobile-first solution and uh, we were going to go all in. We were going to put as many products as that we have available to us on mobile. We were going to make it as easy and convincing and comfortable for the customer as possible. We were going to allow prepayment and then activation at a separate uh, point. Uh, and we were going to do this in a way where it was multimodal, multi jurisdictional, multi product. Uh, we were going to engage in things like state fair tickets that could be bundled in. Uh, we were going to add events and offers. We were going to throw it all in. Um, and it turned out to be a, a really good idea that that uh, just spawned all kinds of uh, opportunities for us, and and that became your GoPass. That became the the GoPass mobile app. Uh, we introduced that in 2013, uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of that in terms of procurement. From the day we procured it, which was a six month procurement, to the time it was delivered after notice proceed of. of uh, of authorization to proceed was 12 months, so it was delivered full out to everybody inside of 12 months from notice to proceed. And the point of that to me is, uh, in a in a conventional payment system, fair payment system, just buying box uh, fair boxes, uh, that can be a three month extra, three year yes. e- exercise. Uh, so, uh, that, that in and of itself really provided a lot of uh, support, but GoPass was what we introduced. Uh, we had a great response to it. Uh, we we uh, are up over about 150,000 uh, people who currently uh, have the phone, uh, 78% of all our customers uh, have, have tried it uh, and use it on, on periodic or regular basis. Uh, we have very high awareness of the product. And our uh, our growth in use uh, of mobile uh, continues to expand month over month over month.
0: And um, what percentage would you say of your current rider base is using that?
1: It's uh, it, it it probably is in the uh, I'm going to say in the twenty five to thirty percent range that okay. are regular riders. Uh, it, it, there's a we have a lot that are our, our annual pass holders. Uh, and, or monthly pass holders through the companies. So, uh, and that's a big component. And uh, we're shifting them over to mobile right now. But I, I'd say, in terms of individuals, mm-hmm. retail customers, yes. that's probably right now in the 25, 30%. That's range.
0: Great. So, um, in the time we have remaining, let's talk about MASS, Mobility as a Service, and how you're taking this GoPass Pass uh, and, and moving it forward. You were able to use uh, FTA sandbox. Uh, kind of m- money programs to help develop something which is really only being used as I'm aware of right now. Uh, it's in its infancy here in the U.S., but it's, it's it's being done in Helsinki, Finland and other places where you can bundle uh, all the mobility options, public and private, um, on an app and do trip planning. Uh, with a uh, pay-as-you-go a la carte or in some cities a monthly fee where it's like a subscription service right. uh, All right. on it's all combined into one thing and you're doing it. So tell us about that
1: Well, we are and and obviously it's a it's early stage on the on putting these things together We uh, we determined based on our use of and experience of mobile that mobile uh, had a lot of flexibility and we could actually Integrate with other kinds of modes uh, fairly easily, as long as we didn't try to do everything ourselves. Uh, so the and we had actually done what I call a uh, an intermediate level integration with both Uber and Lyft and actually Zipcar, uh, allowing you to link over to their app in addition to ours. And we, as I said, we've done bundle payment. So the idea was to uh, to do a, a true. Uh, a payment option where the customer could construct a journey out of a a variety of options. We would price it for them uh, and then give them a fastest trip, and journey, cheapest trip, uh, and then uh, actually give them one payment, uh, one charge to them, to their account, and then we would settle with the providers of that journey on the back end. So over the course of a month. They might put together bikes in combination with Zipcar, in combination with Uber and taxi, um, microtransit shuttle operations, as well as our own transit operations, and uh, in, you know, your use cases vary by the day, and by, you know, particularly weekend and weekday. Uh, and the, uh, the technology was, is there, we, so we've been stitching it together. Um, we're actually field testing uh, microtransit right now. Uh, We'll be field testing uh, a dynamic uh, carpooling app uh, that's really exciting uh, that uh, allows us to provide an Uber-like experience uh, and give you the ability to combine uh, a ride with someone else, do it on a ride-sharing basis, solves congestion congestion mitigation on one hand, but also it's very cost-effective, along with, as I say, bikes, and along with uh, a variety of things. We are doing taxi because taxi is relevant yes. uh, and has a place in what we're doing here and, of course, our own. And uh, we're also introducing a public on-demand, an Uber-like product that where we enroll the drivers and uh, and the subscribers uh, and uh, put it in a purely Dart-specific wow. product. So uh, And we think that's necessary because there are some sub-markets inside our total region where uh, Uber and Lyft may not really be interested in, in serving in the way we feel like we're obligated to yeah. serve.
0: Well, that's exciting. So to me, you guys are on the cutting edge of what's happening with transit. And as we head into 2018 and we see the advent of things like uh, like autonomous, even cars, individual cars, autonomous shuttles, mobility as a service, all these cutting edge, uh, it's exciting to see what you all are going to do. And we're going to stay uh, in touch with what's happening here in Dallas, Texas, uh, as, as Gary Thomas and you, David Leininger, and your staff, who I met today, who are awesome people, uh, are leading the way, I think, for the American transit industry to stay relevant uh, and to, and to um, re- continue to serve our customer base and grow and expand it.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity. We're really excited about what's going on here at DART. Obviously, if this allows us to recruit a couple more millennial talents by virtue of listening to this, it would be a real
0: win. That's great. Thanks for being with us today. We've been speaking with David Lanninger, who is the chief financial officer an executive vice president of Dallas Area Rapid Transit, one of the largest transit systems in North America. And exciting to hear all the, uh, not only what they're doing like currently, but the stuff they have actually grinding out uh, the plans for uh, being one of the first in North America to uh, adopt mobility as a service uh, for their users here in the Dallas area.
1: You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.